Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gowan. Patrick Frischert's seventh generation sugarcane farming in Louisiana. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and a growing audience around the world. Welcome to Open Field Radio, raising the hip factor in agriculture. And man, we're having a good time doing it. You know what? On my way to the studio today to do this very show, I stopped by the local convenience market. You know how you do. You're on your way. You got to get something. And I wound up walking out with not only a soda, as we all do, but with a pack of Lifesavers, the little round Lifesavers, right? I hadn't seen them in ages. I'm probably just out of the loop, but I was like, man, I used to eat a bunch of those as a kid. You'd go on vacation. Mama, give you a roll of Lifesavers. Here you go. Enjoy yourself for the next thousand miles. That kind of thing. This was the original ones. Five flavors, you know, the colors, the thing in the roll. Very, very cool. And I enjoyed them. But I looked on the back at the ingredients. And what was the very first ingredient? Sugar. Ta-da! Welcome to the show today. Our guest today, Patrick Frischer. It's part of a seventh-generation family of sugarcane farmers in Louisiana. And sugar, holy cow, it makes the world go round, and we all know it. But the story doesn't stop there. In fact, it doesn't even start there. It starts with an adventure in my backyard that led me to the idea of the interview with Patrick today. And we'll talk about that in the show somewhere. There's not a lot of sugarcane grown in America. We'll talk about that and the reason why. And the place you think might grow it, the reason why they don't. It makes sense, but I didn't know. On to some other things, looking at my calendar for our Canadian listeners. Hello, Canada. If you are going to be at the Ag in Motion Expo, July 19th through the 21st, shoot me an email, info at openfieldradio.com, or hit me up on WhatsApp or DM me on Instagram or Twitter. You know how it works. I'll be there. I'll be hanging around all week long. Looking forward to the adventure that is Canada. I can't wait. Looking forward to seeing it. And don't forget, openfieldradio.com, great website, all the info on all the shows and anything else that might be going on. Check that out. Always fun. Subscribe if you are so inclined. Love to have you on board with that. Occasional newsletter goes out or some other information. Very cool. Thanks for checking it out. We're going to talk sugar and sugar cane with Patrick Frischertz, seventh generation sugar cane farmer from Louisiana in plus or minus 90 seconds. I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I turn right now, there's something about jobs and the abundance of jobs available out there. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com slash careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com slash careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. Raising the hip factor in agriculture. Yeah. Open Field Radio. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard, you mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting open field radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody, knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to open field radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Connecting with the best audience in ag podcasts. One episode at a time, 
one listener at a time. Open Field Radio. Here we go. Open Field Radio, Season 2, Episode 22 with Patrick Frischertz, Louisiana Sugarcane. It all starts right now. Paint me a picture of what it looks like, where your farm is, what it looks like, kind of the postcard of sugarcane in Louisiana. So our farm-specific postcard of Louisiana, just to give everybody reference, there is the capital city of Baton Rouge. Our farm is about 30 minutes south-southwest. So really, if you follow the Mississippi River on a map, you'll see Plaquemine, Louisiana, right south of Baton Rouge. That's where we're located. So the sugarcane belt in Louisiana as a whole is right northwest of New Orleans and kind of stretches all the way through the southern central part of Louisiana all the way to Lafayette and and up a little bit almost to Alexandria, which is really dead center of Louisiana. So we call the sugarcane belt, essentially. That the, the Louisiana on the map looks like a boot. It's at the bottom part, stretching almost from one end to the other across the state, the bottom half of the state. It's a pretty state. I've been there a couple times, and I love it every time I go there. Man, it is a fantastic place. It's where we call home. We love it. And uh, it's a unique place, I can tell you that. But uh we really love it down here. We, we love the crop. We love the people involved in this industry. And we love the community that we're in here in Plaquemine. And don't forget the food. The food is amazing in Louisiana. The food is amazing. I was born in New Orleans, grew up in Baton Rouge. So it's, I kind of been very accustomed to it. So uh, everybody tells me that. I say, yeah, this is, this is kind of what I would expect. And I guess I'm spoiled on that end. Good for you. <laughs> you are seventh generation cane farmers, is that right? That is correct. Uh, so my father-in-law is a seventh generation sugar cane farmer. I, I married into the family, so I kind of joke that I, I don't get to inherit the, the generational term. But uh, at this point, I'm calling myself an eighth generation farmer. Um, and my son or daughter, if they so choose, will will be ninth generation farmers. And they seem to be pretty interested in spending time on the farm, which is exciting to see from a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. What do you know as an in-law? I'm sure you've been through the family history and all those things, but take me back as far as you can in those seven generations. That's a, that's a long time. Sure. So there was a, Joseph Irwin was the original descendant that lived in St. Louis. He was a merchant in St. Louis and decided to sell everything, pack up and head down the river and bought a farm in Plaquemine, Louisiana in 1806 and began began farming and uh, sugarcane farming in 1806. And it's just continued down the lineage um, from generation to generation. And the farm's slowly grown over the years, but um, it's uh, something that our family takes a lot of pride in. It's a lot of work to continuing the legacy of, of farming that we have. That is amazing. And it, I think the amazing part in this day and age is that it still continues seven, now almost eight generations later, that everybody still sees the vision of tilling this land growing this cane. It's something that we're really proud of. We work very, very hard. A, a lot of the family are involved to the extent that everybody's very interested in what's going on on the farm. And, and up to date, we just had an annual meeting of the Landholding Association that um, gave a nice crop report. And it's it's fun to talk to everybody. And uh, everybody has connection to the land and really appreciates what's happening on the farm. Well, what's the history of sugarcane in America? Can you speak to that? Here in Louisiana, at least, it was Jesuit priests started planting sugarcane down in New Orleans and actually Audubon Park. And there's now an Audubon uh, Sugar Institute that really researches and looks at the best way of refining and processing sugar here in the state. But uh, Audubon Park was, yeah, the first place to grow sugarcane in Louisiana and it continued to grow from that point forward. Now, sugarcane is a, it's a really tropical plant in a subtropical environment. So 
we have an interesting growth pattern compared to the rest of the world. We're really growing cane for about nine months here in Louisiana, but the rest of the world's growing it for 12 months, even 16 months when it's all said and done between their harvest to harvest. We're usually going at and growing some varieties that mature a little bit earlier, can handle a freeze because really it's the northernmost point in the world growing sugarcane here in Louisiana. One of the biggest issues for us is a freeze. So a freeze can come down and it'll crack open the rind of the sugarcane and bacteria will get into the tissue of the cane and start deteriorating the quality of the cane and you won't have as much recoverable sugar. So it's one of our biggest risks and really the limiting factor of having sugar cane going anywhere north. So in the U.S., kind of jumping back to the question, in the U.S., you have sugar cane grown in Louisiana, Texas, and Florida, just three states when it's all said and done. But you also have sugar grown in sugar beets all over the, the northern Midwest, Michigan, Montana, all throughout the country, California, Idaho. So you have really two sources of sugar, but sugar cane itself is down in the south. And I think most of us think sugar anymore, and you think the sugar beets, that would be pretty much normal. Any idea when that shift happened from cane to beets in America? Honestly, I, I would be lying to you if I knew the complete answer to that. I can certainly point you <laughs> to the direction of somebody. But I, but I have a little bit more history to it. It's uh, I've, I've really fallen in love with the agronomic side of it, but um, I should know the answer to that, but I really don't off the top of my head, so I apologize. I need to, I need to brush up on my, no. my sugar history. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. If you are interested in sugarcane history in Louisiana at all, you can go online and find a ton of information on it. It's out there all over the place, and Louisiana is very proud of it, and they should be because sugarcane is arguably the most successful crop in the history of the state. Who knew? I didn't know that. More more importantly, the sugar industry is a vital part of the Louisiana economy with an annual economic impact of $2 billion to cane growers and raw sugar factories, also generating an overall economic value of $3 billion. Sugarcane is produced on more than 400,000 acres of land in 22 Louisiana parishes and with the production of approximately 13 million tons of cane yearly, supports 17,000 jobs in Louisiana. You can read about this and more at the American Sugarcane League site. That's amscl.org. Very cool. You you mentioned Florida, Louisiana, and Texas. Is that right? What about Hawaii? I would think Hawaii would be like a shoe-in for, for sugarcane. Yeah, even in my time. So I've been on the farm for 13 years. In my time, Hawaii, when I first joined the farm, uh, Hawaii was producing sugar. The issue is they're producing raw sugar, and it costs so much in transportation to get it from Hawaii over to, to be refined in California. And diesel prices and all input prices in Hawaii were are extremely high. So I want to say it was four or five years ago, the last mill shut its door. So they're no longer growing and um, processing sugar to make raw sugar in Hawaii anymore. That's wild, because I just think you think, you know, that would make perfect sense to me. But I understand I understand the processing and the shipping part. I totally get it. Yeah, it's, it's really like the inputs more than anything else and getting the sugar over to California to be refined. It's just very, very pricey when it's all said and done. The business end doesn't work out, unfortunately. You're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at gowanco.com. And now you know. 
I love to tell you about things that I like. And that's the only reason I want to tell you about them. And if you're like me, I take notes on post-it notes on anything. I'll write something down. But then what? I lose them, right? Well, here, if you're like me in that way, get yourself the Adobe Scan app. I love this thing. Get it on your phone, right on anything you want. That's right. Get the app out. It's Adobe. Come on. It's going to be quality. Snap a shot of your notes with the camera in the app. Bingo, bango, bongo. You save it. It's a PDF in your phone just as you wrote it. From there, you can share it or do whatever else you want to do with it. But the one thing you won't do, I promise you, you won't lose it. Adobe Scan in your favorite app store. Quick shout out to some folks we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Big hello to Willis, Michigan, Lenexa, Kansas, Ultawa, Tennessee, Anaheim, California, Capon Bridge, West Virginia, Kettering, England, Sydney, Canada, and Nuremberg, Germany. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. Jumping back a little bit, you married into the family, but you didn't marry into the family to start in sugarcane, did you? You came from somewhere else. No, no, yeah. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I married into the family. I did join the farm right before uh, my wife and I were married. Before joining the farm, I graduated from uh, Louisiana State University, a degree in education, uh, history and education. I taught for a year, ended up going to deciding to go to law school, had a great opportunity to go to law school down in New Orleans pursued that and got the practice at the Jefferson Parish DA's office for a short time. And uh, it was a very eye-opening experience just for me personally and that the litigation side was, was pretty intense. And um, I personally didn't see myself doing that every single day. The entire time, really when I was finishing up college and all the way through law school, I was dating my wife and I was kind of getting subtle hints that, hey, we, we, ha- we need some help on the farm because my father-in-law and mother-in-law had four young, four girls. And Ben didn't really want to work on the farm and they didn't have any son-in-laws at the time. So it was, I'm here. I was, I guess, expressing my disinterest in the full-time practice at that point after seeing and experiencing what I, the opportunity that I had, which was a great opportunity at the DA's office, just very eye-opening. And I ended up saying, you know what? It can't be any worse than this. I'll maintain my license. That's not a problem. But jump into the farm and see what it's like. And that was... 13 years ago and really haven't looked back. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to join a farm. It's just an entirely different way of life that I personally find far more rewarding and just enjoyable on an everyday basis. I love that, that you, you took that jump and thought, you know what, there's something more out there. And it's right in your family. That is completely cool. It was a, it was a unique opportunity, but one I'm, I'm very appreciative for. And uh, it's, it's, it's been really life-changing for the, for the better. Good for you. How big's the farm? So we farm in total between two landowners. We farm a little over 3,400 acres of sugarcane. So we farm sugarcane in our fallow because sugarcane is a rotational crop, and we can touch on that in just a minute. Uh, in our fallow, we farm about four to 500 acres of soybeans. Really, it's either wheat or soybeans, kind of depending on the market and, and agronomically how we're feeling for the, that, that particular year. Yeah, so about 3,400 acres in total. And in doing that, what's the season like? When's it start? When's the harvest? So this is my favorite part about sugarcane. Sugarcane in Louisiana ultimately is a 365-day crop. So sugarcane is a really unique crop compared to a lot of other crops to the extent that it's a retuning crop. Just like the grass, Bermuda grass or St. Augustine grass, you can cut it and it'll grow back from the roots. So different than corn, different than soybeans, you're not planting a seed every single year. So you're really rotating what goes into your fallow or just empty ground every single year. So it's... um You'll plant part of your crop, say for 2022, for example, we'll plant about 15% of our crop for next year. And each year, the cane gets on a particular ground, gets a little bit older, 
and it gets to a point where it's no longer commercially viable and you'll plow that out and put it back into fallow and then plant it all over again. For your average year, we'll go calendar because it's probably the easiest way to go about it. January is really some downtime. Um, we're finishing up harvest from the previous year. We're getting all the equipment in, working all, all the equipment, fixing all the tractors, getting ourselves mentally, physically, and same thing with the tractors, physically ready to go for the year. Uh, once we hit late February, March is our cultivation period where we'll go through and we'll start fixing ruts from the prior year. Any issues with harvest, we'll go back, fix that, start working the ground in between the cane. So because cane is a, if the roots stay in the ground, you just work the ground in between the cane roots. So you're not plowing out every acre every single year. You're working roughly about half, maybe a little over half the ground every year. And that's just fixing the rows for drainage. Then you jump right into fertilizing, fertilize with nitrogen and usually potassium in our particular ground here. Once we get through that, it's that takes us all the way pretty much until June. June slash July, it's letting the cane grow, watching over the soybeans. If you planted any soybeans, getting your fallow ground ready. Once you're finished up um, with any fallow ground work, you kind of have, I say, a little downtime from the month of July, which is what we're about to jump into. It's kind of nice. I'm excited about it. It's called vacation periods. A moment you can step away for a little bit. Once July is over with, and this is, again, part of the interesting, I find very interesting and different aspect of sugarcane farming. You plant part of next year's crop right before you harvest it. So once August hits, you're cutting the existing stalk, laying that in the furrow of a row, covering it with dirt, and then new shoots will grow out. So you'll have about 15% of your ground in fallow. You're cutting part of this year's crop to plant for next year's crop, and that takes us a good month and is, for me, without a doubt, the busiest time of the year. And it really has, I mean, pretty significant bottom-line impacts to your farm because if you do a good job, you're setting that crop up for success for four to five years. If you do a poor job, you'll end up having to plow out that ground in two or three years. So it's a really important financial time for the farm because again you're setting it up for success in the future once we finish planting season usually around september we jump right into harvest and we harvest the existing crop from mid-september all the way through january of the next year it's a good 90 to 100 day harvest process wow yeah cutting about 20 acres a day so it's just takes a long, long, long time. A lot of work. So I can't say that I have any experience in this at all with this one little caveat. Part of what brought this whole episode uh, around, if you will, is my neighbor. I thought he was growing bamboo in his yard. I went down and asked him, I said, what are you doing growing the bamboo? That's pretty cool. How do you get some of that? He said, it's not bamboo. It's sugarcane. You want some? I said, sure. He came down, brought me a whole stock of the stuff, chopped it up, showed me how to grow it. I put it in my yard and lo and behold, no exaggeration, just this week, the first sprout came up. Pretty exciting. I'll put some pictures on the website. You can see my sugar cane growing in my yard. But it was pretty cool, and it's literally what led me to find Patrick and go talk to me some more about this sugar cane thing. Pretty fun. It can be done. Nowhere near the degree that Patrick's doing it, but nonetheless, I'm in the club. For the listener, explain how you, there, you don't plant from seed, correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. So for the average sugarcane farm, you're not planting from like a, a corn seed or a soybean seed, a particular seed. You're using the existing stalk. So imagine a 10-foot stalk of cane, either bamboo, whatever type of cane it might be. Every three to four to even six inches, there's a little node on that cane, a little joint. On that joint is an eye. That eye can, once it's put in the ground, has a little dirt on it. 
it can germinate and have a entire stool. Of basically, thirty-five plus stalks come from one particular one, one little eye. Whoa! So you, you don't have to plant. Yeah, you don't have to plant from a one little seed every year. You're using your existing crop, that stalk, and um, one stalk can produce. Uh, a, a good bit of uh, sugar cane for the next year. And so when you when you cut that stalk and you lay it down, are you just laying it down in one long, for instance, you said a 10-foot piece of cane, would you just lay down that 10-foot yeah. piece oriented the right way, so to speak? Yeah, oriented just uh, with the row. You just lay it right down the row and just cover it up with a little bit of dirt. It's overall, I mean, it's a pretty simple process in that you just, you cut the stalk, you either mechanically or hand put that stalk down the row, cover it up with a little dirt, parallel essentially to the row, right in the middle of it, and up come new roots. And it usually takes you know, two or three weeks, depending on the weather, for these shoots to start emerging. That's amazing. And simple. It's surprisingly simple. There's always that moment of doubt when you put the cane down, it's about two weeks in, you don't see anything, you go... Okay, what's happening? Is it coming up? And then, sure enough, <laughs> there it goes. What? Okay, I got to jump back. We're jumping around, but there's a lot of information here. The harvest, that harvest period is a long time. Yes. So the harvest process, we have sugarcane in the field. It's not even a sellable product to the extent that we can't take it to any market anywhere in the world or just sell it to whomever. It needs to go to a mill to be produced into raw sugar. And these mills, which are phenomenal at their job, can only process, essentially grind, and we call harvest grinding. They can only grind so much cane every single day. So the mill sets all the farmers in the area on a schedule. They ship so much, so many tons to the mill. So depending on the farm size, depending how long grinding is going to go, you'll ship between, like our farm, roughly 1,000 to 1,100 tons in a day. We ship that cane to the mill. They take that cane and they literally just press and squeeze the juice out of the cane. Once they, they re- recover the juice, it just goes into a boiler, it evaporates all the liquid out, and then you're left with raw sugar crystal. So curiosity kind of got the better of me in this whole thing and uh, thought I'd do a little math, which is not my forte, but pretty easy math nonetheless. He was mentioning 1,000 to 1,100 tons of sugar cane a day to the mill. How much sugar is that? That's a lot of tonnage. How much sugar do you get out of that? You ready for this? 232 pounds of raw sugar per ton, or 8,350 pounds of raw sugar per acre, times the 400,000 acres of sugar cane that Louisiana produces every year, comes to a total of 3.34 billion pounds of raw sugar, or 1.67 million tons. This show is set up to look at what we call the one degree of separation between agriculture and and life and the life part of this would be I go to the store, I buy some sugar, I take it home, I put it on my cereal or whatever I'm going to do with it. And just in the few minutes you and I have been talking, I know the process, but I've never stopped to think about it. The process in just getting sugar is fascinating, and I never stop to think when I see that box of sugar on the shelf at the grocery store of all of this that goes into it. Amazing. It's a really interesting, really fun process. Um, from farm to table, it's the you know, sugarcane farmer grows it. it. We ship it to a mill. They are literally just pressing the juice out of it, evaporating all the liquid out to where you have the sugar crystal. And from there, it goes to a refinery. And that refinery just takes that last little bit of molasses, last little bit of, I guess, juice, if you want to call it, out of that sugar crystal. And there you go. You have your refined sugar ready to go to market. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. We keep our boots muddy and our ears tuned to the thorny challenges of agriculture. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? Because it's the truth. The Gowan Group is a global, family-owned agriculture solution business headquartered in Yuma, Arizona. 
Gowan specializes in developing, marketing, and processing agricultural inputs such as crop protection products, seeds, and fertilizers. Gowan has grown markets in the majority of the agricultural regions globally. A deep respect for science and a passion for agriculture drives Gowan Company to help growers solve their critical pest and plant health issues. Let's say it together. Gowan Company. Open Field Radio. Like. Share. Subscribe. You know, staying accessible and connected is key to running a cool show like Open Field Radio. And sincerely, listeners are important. That means you. And because of that and the growth of the show around the world, you can now reach us on WhatsApp. And it's super simple. The easiest way? OpenFieldRadio.com. At the very bottom, right there in the Contact Us section, there's a button that says WhatsApp. What do you know? Click that, shoot us a message. You know what? There's somebody at the other end of that that will gladly connect with you. We love to keep in touch because without you, we're just talking to ourselves. Stay connected because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, Louisiana sugarcane farmer, Patrick Frischertz. Well, when you're a sugarcane farmer, who is your customer? Who are you selling to? So ultimately, as a sugarcane farmer, we sell that cane to the mill. So the process and how we end up actually getting paid, there's a scale. So this big, we, what we do, we cut, there's a harvester that goes to the field. It cuts the cane at the, the very base and then cuts, cuts the top off because all we want is the stalk. We don't want the leaf material because the leaf material has no sugar in it. That goes through the harvester. It cuts it up into these little billets that are about eight to six inches long. It dumps that into a wagon. The wagon brings the cane out of the field into an, and dumps into an 18-wheeler. The 18-wheeler then goes to the mill and it dumps into the mill. So there's a scale where they go, a truck pulls in, has its full weight, and then dumps and comes back out and gets its empty weight so you know how much cane is in that truck. Every couple of loads, the, the truck goes through what's called a core sampler, where they literally drill into this big pile of cane, and they can get a sample and see how much sugar, roughly sucrose, is in that, that cane. And it's just a repre- representative example. So if they get a bunch of averages or samples over the, that day, you'll have a good rough idea of how much sugar you're actually sending, how many tons you'll have an exact amount but have a good idea of how much sugar you're, you're sending to that mill every single day. And based off of that, the mill ends up writing us a check on how many tons plus the sugar content in those tons for that particular day. So for me, in my simple mind, you know what this reminds me of? And you're going to laugh because this is just exactly how shallow I am. This whole process <laughs> reminds me of of Wicked Tuna. Do you ever watch Wicked Tuna on, uh, what is that, on National Geographic or one of those kind of things? It's the same deal. You catch yourself a tuna, you put it on the boat, you drag it in, you take it to the plant. They weigh it, they core it, and look at it and go, yep, it's tuna, here's a check. It's the same thing with sugarcane. Who knew? So the mill has the clients, has the supply chain, if you will. You simply grow it, sell it to the mill. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's an interesting scenario here in Louisiana to the extent that there is a refinery, as Louisiana Sugar Refiners, and that is owned 50-50 with the farmers of Louisiana and the mills of Louisiana, almost all of the, the mills in Louisiana. And Cargill, it's a 50-50 joint venture. So, for example, our farm is part owner of this refinery, and so is the mill. So we take our cane, ship it to a cooperating mill. That mill ships it to this one refinery, and then they process it into refined sugar, and then Cargill markets that sugar for us. Is the sugar that's refined and produced consumed strictly here in the United States? Is any of it exported? Yeah, yeah. So between sugar beets and sugar cane, we don't produce enough sugar to meet all of the sugar needs in the U.S. So the U.S. does import sugar. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we're the second or third largest importer. I should know that off the top of my head, but we're the second or third largest importer in the entire world of sugar 
from countries all over the world. So everything that's pretty much grown here in Louisiana, Texas, Florida, and then the beets stays right here in the U.S. And dentists across the country love you for it. <laughs> What's the labor like? Pretty much like every farm right now across the U.S., labor is, is, is tough. It's hard work. Farming is hard work. Any farmer can tell you that it's hard work. It's long hours, especially during harvest. Those harvest days can last 12, 14, 16 plus hours pretty, pretty regularly. We're very fortunate. We have a phenomenal crew since I've joined the farm. We've had a phenomenal crew and everybody's, we've had great crew retention. We've, we've had the same employees since I've been here and, and haven't had any issues with a long-term crew and, and having a good solid long-term crew. Overall, we have nine local employees, myself included, that do the day-to-day -day and, and they're here, again, 365. During our planting and harvest season, we bring in workers through an H-2A, a federal H-2A work visa program. And that's when, during planting season, we, we need extra hands to help plant the cane. And during harvest, we need extra hands to really help run these tractors and get this cane out of the field. So we do rely on the federal H-2A work visa program to bring in seven extra employees during those, those peak times, essentially, where there's just a lot of work to be done. We advertise, and if, if any local worker, any American worker wants to come join the farm, hey, we hire them on by law, and the right thing to do is hire them on, but we just can't find anybody right now to help fill those positions. In Louisiana, at least, we're in a really unique position to the extent that we farm right next to pretty big industry. There are a lot of chemical plants up and down the river, and just by the sheer fact, they can pay more than what we can pay on the farm when it's all said and done. So it's, it is very competitive to find, to find labor. Are supply chain issues, do they have an impact on you and what you do? They are having an impact to the extent, really, first and foremost for us, it's, it's tractor repairs. So trying to find parts and, and it's trying to get parts for tractor repairs is, is very difficult, very frustrating. We have two, really one tractor, but two tractors more or less that have been down for a couple of months and we just can't get the parts. One, one tractor needs an engine overhaul kit and we've been on the waiting list for roughly five months at this point. And we're number one in the U.S. for a tractor overhaul kit uh, for this particular model. We're still waiting, and they said they, they can't give us a time frame. So that's one of our key tractors that has been parked essentially for five months. We have another one that we're still using. It's just it doesn't have air conditioning. If you've been to Louisiana in the summertime, you really don't want to spend time in a tractor without AC. We run it in the morning and just stop because it can be kind of unbearable in the tractor, but just with the heat. But it's been interesting trying to find parts. And even on equipment that we run behind the tractor, stuff will break, and we'll have to reshuffle this tractor, and that when a piece of equipment goes down for a couple of days, and we're just waiting for the part to arrive. That's been personally the biggest headache that we've encountered. These tractors are not cheap. Um, it, it is, it's a kind of a tough pill to swallow to watch a tractor that's a key part of the operation and very expensive just sitting and, and waiting for uh, what might even be a sensor at times. You never know. What about weeds and pests? Does sugarcane have weeds and pests that drive you crazy? Yeah, absolutely. So it's again kind of a unique scenario that sugarcane, because it's a retuning crop, you can plant it. Those roots are in the ground for three to five years, and there are other grasses that can grow in between the rows and in between the cane that can be a pretty big headache for us. For example, Bermuda grass, common Bermuda grass is a big pest. It's a first cousin, essentially, to sugar cane. So any herbicide that would injure the Bermuda grass would also injure the cane. So we really can't use that. It's one of our biggest issues uh, here in Louisiana, I think, just holding the crop back are our pest issues. Bermuda grass, as I said, is number is really for us number one when it's all said and done. Um, Johnson grass, Raul grass, any type of grass that is essentially going to be a first or second cousin to cane. There are no herbicides that, that would really injure those weeds and keep uh, the sugar cane alive and well. 
So it really takes some pretty specific management, especially in our fallow ground, to make sure that uh, we eradicate this pest and keep the fields clean in that fallow grounds. And it's also been one of the reasons we've jumped into pretty aggressively in, in cover cropping in the wintertime the rest of our fallow grounds. We, we cover crop when it's all said and done, probably 95 plus percent of our fallow grounds. So on a given year, you have 99% of our ground in some type of cultivation. And the reason we're cover cropping in Louisiana more than anything else is soil erosion, but it's really pest prevention. It's helping prevent those weeds become established in our fallow ground. That's, again, the opportunity for them to become established and cause problems years down the road. This is Michael Ruhlman, author of Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America. Price check on Honey Nut Wonder Rose. Season 1, Episode 4, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. What's the future of sugarcane look like right now? Right now, the future of sugarcane probably is, you know, at least in the last 13 years, the brightest that it's, uh, it's ever been. We have some phenomenal sugar varieties that really produce a lot of sugar and are very resistant to uh, two different pests. And, and there are some coming down the pipeline that we're really excited about. Overall, in my time, the acreage has grown from 390,000, 400,000 up to 520,000 acres in Louisiana. So it's becoming a, a very popular crop here in Louisiana. And row crop wise, it's the number one row crop in Louisiana by a wide margin. I think timber, when it's all said and done, has a bit more value, but row crop, traditional row crop in sugarcane is, is, is king at this point. We're really excited about the future again because of the varieties um, and just technology as a whole. It's come a long way. Um, we're starting to see yield monitors. We're, we're able to start putting out uh, fertilizer at variable rate with variable rate methods. So we're really kind of catching up to the rest of ag in some ways. But uh, I, I think it looks pretty promising when it's all said and done. One other note just about the future. One, one thing that's great about sugarcane, it's usually a pretty reliable crop, pretty durable crop. It really takes a lot to knock it down. When you compare like to the tomato plants in our garden in our backyard right now. It doesn't take a whole lot to knock out a tomato plant. A little bit too much heat will knock out these tomato plants. I think that's what's happening right now in our garden. But sugarcane is very resilient, very reliable. And it's from the farming end, it's much easier to plan and, and to budget when you have a kind of a baseline that you know you're going to work with year in and year out. And that's a huge advantage I think that we have. You're in a big weather zone there, hurricanes and big rain and everything like that. And it's, it uh, yeah. stands up to all of that pretty well? It does. Um, hurricanes can, can do a good bit of damage. Where we are in Iberville Parish and Plaquemines, a little bit further inland, what the hurricane can do is come in, obviously drop a lot of rain. That can cause some flooding, especially if your drainage isn't, isn't squared away. It can also knock down the cane, but usually by the time hurricane season hits, the cane's a little bit taller. It'll come in and it'll literally like steamroll flatten the cane. The good and the bad to that is the current and modern combine system actually knocks the cane down before it cuts it anyway. So the harvest loss isn't quite as extreme. What can happen is when it knocks the cane down, the cane goes from trying to produce sugar to trying to regrow or straighten itself. So you can have sugar loss, sugar recovery loss when it's all said and done. Now, further south, there are some individuals that really were hit like by hurricane. I really took a tough hit, but they were facing 150 mile an hour winds. That uprooted cane did a lot of damage to the crop, put a lot of crop underwater just because of the sheer amount of rainfall. And that, that was really tough to see for, some, for those farmers. And um, we're, I think the, the industry as a whole is doing the best they can to get them back up and running. But for the most part across the state, cane is resilient enough to withstand a pretty good lick and come back. Seven generations of cane farming in Louisiana. What's your favorite thing about farming sugarcane? My favorite thing, bar none, is working with good people. It's, it's really enjoyable to get together 
with individuals that really care about the place, care about the crop, and try to work as a common goal, like have a common goal amongst us and work together to produce a crop. I absolutely love waking up every single day, going out to the farm, completing our work and being able to look back and say, hey, we did a good job on this, this, this. You can actually see and just all of all of the work that was accomplished. And that was very different than my, my former occupation where a lot of it was um, litigating and arguing. And at the end of the day, it was very hard to feel great about what happened in the courtroom. No matter the outcome, it, it was difficult to, a lot of times a difficult pill to swallow. But it's working with good people. I, I, I can't stress that enough. We're fortunate to have Again, a great crew working with us. It's just it's a lot of fun. I, I wake up every day enjoying what we do and working with the crew that we work with. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission. <laughs>